Welcome to Bloom, the podcast where mums share their unfiltered birth experiences. We hope that by listening to their stories, you feel empowered and inspired wherever you are on your own journey. Welcome to Bloom. In today's episode, Meg talks about the importance of being informed and self-advocating and the transformative power of her trusted support network. In the first half of Meg's pregnancy, she battled with chronic morning sickness, and her birth experience was a series of unforeseen medical interventions that she had no prior warning or preparation for. When Orson was born, breastfeeding presented a host of new challenges, but thanks to the combination of the unwavering support of her friends and family and sheer determination, she overcame all of the obstacles that stood in the way of her breastfeeding goal. Today, Meg is here to share her story of how extraordinary perseverance and strength carried her and her family through. Hello Meg. Hello Katie. <laughs> so um, Meg and I go back quite a long way and I'm a bit sad that we're not here together in person but nonetheless I'm so happy that you're here today to talk about your story. Very pleased to be here, thank you for having me. So to start with, uh, please can you tell us your name, how old you are, where you're from and who is in your lovely family? Um, So my name's Meg, I'm 31 years old, I'm from Bedford in England and in my family, in my immediate family at the moment, it's myself, my husband Max and our son Orson who is one year and one month old. Great, thank you. And just to set the scene for everyone, Meg is currently sitting in what can only be described as Max's equivalent of a man cave, (laughs) surrounded by a lot of vinyls and tech, which um, sadly none of you can see, but it's um, it's quite impressive. (laughs) So um, tell me a bit about how you and Max met. How old were you at the time? So we met online. We met on a a dating app called Bumble. um, And I was... Oh gosh, I think I was 26 when we met and X was 32, 33 and we started talking to each other. Both of us had used online dating for quite a while and sort of come to the end of our tether with it really thinking that it wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. We both had long-term relationships previously but it did happen for us. We developed a connection even before we met, which is quite rare, I think, mm. to have that genuine connection that then carries on when you meet in person. And from our first date, where I, I walked into a glass door, that was the first thing that Max <laughs> saw of me. And um, he fortunately found that charming rather than putting him off. So then we've just been sort of inseparable ever since. Oh, well, yeah, that's great. And um, tell me a bit about how your view of motherhood was back then. Were you always totally sure that you wanted children? And is that something that the two of you spoke about early on? Yes, I, I've i really had a desire to have children for a, a long time from when I was a child really even just playing with dolls and that desire never really went away it became much more 
real when family um, and friends, I suppose, start had children. And I think I realized more of the responsibility and how much it changed your life. But oh yeah, I still very much had a strong desire for children. Max did too. And it, it was actually something we, we spoke about. The benefit of us meeting, I suppose, slightly later in life was that we were both very upfront about those things, even in the early dates. And Max did tell me very early on that he wanted to be a father by the time he was 35. Okay. Which didn't freak <laughs> me out, actually. It did, it did make me laugh. Straight in there. I like it. Yeah, straight in there. I I admired his thinking and his reasons behind that. It wasn't just a, a number picked out of the air. He himself has older parents and he had that desire to not mm. be too old when he had his first child yeah and I guess when when people have been dating for a while it kind of gets to the point where if you're not aligned on these important topics then time is precious I suppose absolutely yeah okay so you, you were both pretty on the same page kind of from the beginning with with children yes how long had you been together when you started thinking it was about time to get things moving so we got engaged in 2019 which would mean we've been together for two years so for some quite early doors in the relationship but for us it didn't feel early doors because of the ages that we were and the experiences that Mm. we'd had I suppose and that we really both felt so happy in our relationship and when we got engaged we started talking about having children as well and we had our plan (laughs) we knew when we wanted to start trying to conceive which would have been just after we got married okay and and so really from when we got engaged we started talking about that plan okay so you got married you've sealed the deal you're together forever (laughs) And yeah. it's pretty much immediate that you you start you start trying, you stop your contraception and you you go for it. Yes. Yes. Okay. So we we were married in the month of December and in that month we had already started trying. So I was I wasn't on contraception at that time. Okay. And we yeah, we were I would say we were actively trying because I'd I'd been off contraception since the May and I'd been tracking my cycles. So we were actively trying in the December Got it. okay so how did you discover you were pregnant did it take a long time can you paint the picture for us <laughs> so it didn't it didn't take a long time although it felt like an age um at, at that time I think anyone um mm. who is trying for a baby feels that that sense of time going very very slowly however we were very fortunate that it didn't take a long time for us it it was just on the first first try (laughs) which sounds (laughs) sounds like a fairground game or something (laughs) Uh, however I have been well we have been tracking my cycles very regularly so we had a good idea of when when our best window was we knew that there was a chance that I could be pregnant and I did take a pregnancy test actually when I found out one of my other friends was pregnant oh wow um and it was it was negative okay which was a a real moment of disappointment yeah a feeling of disappointment and I felt very silly because I thought 
this is so much emotion just after you know a very short time of trying and I think it did give me a bit of a reality check I suppose that you know this could be a long time and made me feel a little bit more at peace with that Mm -hmm. however a few days later um, I started feeling very sick Mm -hmm. (laughs) yes which was definitely um something that didn't stop for a while after that so I started feeling very sick and took a test and it was positive okay and so do you remember where you were when you took that test were you together with Max or did you tell him at a later date I was no we we were both in the house and I I felt very sick from the Sunday and it just was not budging that sense of nausea and by the Tuesday it was just building up in my head all day I was working still and I had about a 20 minute break at 4 30 in the afternoon and that was the moment I decided to take the pregnancy test in in that 20 minute break (laughs) no time like the present yeah so I broke all the rules I didn't take it first thing in the morning I didn't wait to miss my period because this was only I still had about a week to go until my period was due. Wow. And it was positive. I pulled Max out of work. We were both working (laughs) from home, but I pulled him out of work to tell him. He was incredibly shocked because he didn't even know I was taking the test. Last he'd heard was four days before that I'd had a negative test. We both sort of accepted that we weren't pregnant that month. And then I told him that. And he he reacted by just couldn't really process it he just sat on the bed and was just looking at his phone (laughs) because he just couldn't he couldn't process it at all in that moment and quite swiftly obviously I then had to dash back to work and so did he so all a little bit surreal at first very surreal yes very very surreal and so how after that moment how does the first trimester unfold for you you mentioned you felt sick yes and that was one of the first signs did you experience morning sickness for the whole of the first trimester how how did it how did it pan out yes so for me it wasn't morning sickness it was 24 hours a day sickness and yes I did I did experience it severely um there is a particular condition which Kate Middleton is kind of known for having or the condition is famous I think because Kate Middleton had it where you can be hospitalized I wasn't hospitalized but I did pretty much tick all the boxes for that condition um, in terms of being unable to eat I had significant and rapid weight loss consistent sickness basically without going into too much detail Mm -hmm. and that lasted until I was about 20 20 weeks pregnant Wow. Okay. So basically the first half of your whole pregnancy. Yes. Yeah. The first half. And was there anything at all that you felt helped you to cope with the sickness? Um, the famous old wives tale of ginger. Did it, did it touch any of the suffix? No, no. Ginger, peppermint, all of the, yeah, the old wives tales, as you say, no, nothing helped. I found that if I ate small amounts what I could eat that it helped somewhat um and I was (laughs) my diet really became like that of a toddler I would have like a satsuma and a frube 
Um, <laughs> in a day. Haven't thought about Froobs for a while. <laughs> I know. And what if that stayed down? That was to be celebrated, really. That was another thing which helped a little bit was first thing in the morning, eating something without even moving at all, of which was mm, okay. Yeah. Max was really supportive in that time after he got over the initial shock of us being pregnant. He was very hands on and, um, you know, really wanted to support me as much as he could because I think and I think this is very common for many partners felt very helpless because I was going through it all and he wasn't able to really take any of that. Mm. So he would bring me breakfast in the morning and I would eat as much as I could. And I was still sick, but it wasn't as bad. Mm. So I know is a strange thing to say, but it was a difficult time and I felt very unwell and very confused by how I could be feeling so unwell and yet this baby was growing healthily inside me and you know I had all the reassurances. Mm. I, I actually went for an early pregnancy scan which I would really I would recommend anyone to do because it was a very positive experience especially going through what I was going through with being so unwell having that being able to see the heartbeat of our baby and having that experience was such a light in what was otherwise quite a dark time mm, and so you're I should say you're in the UK and that's not something which is included in part of the prenatal care so no that's something you had to go privately yes to do, is it? so I, I paid 70 pounds for that and I, I understand okay. that is a lot of money and not everyone can afford that but I think there is a real stigma around oh don't you know don't go because then you'll just be wanting that reassurance all the time but I would actually challenge that and say it can be a very positive thing. Mm, that's good to know. So once the sickness subsides at about 20 weeks, yeah, is there any time for you to kind of enjoy being pregnant before you start thinking about the the end of it all and how it how it's going to finish? <laughs> yes, definitely. And particularly the second half of my pregnancy, there was lots of parts of it I enjoyed. I really enjoyed my body changing, which I know is a part of pregnancy many women don't like, but I enjoyed my body changing and being able to wear clothes that I would never Mm. wear, not pregnant, you know, more like tight fitting clothes. I enjoyed the attention (laughs) that might be controversial to say but I definitely enjoyed the attention and talking about it you know particularly in those early days there is a sense of secrecy and it was nice to be able to talk about it and be open about it and and just look forward to what was to come so I did enjoy those parts for sure yeah okay and more specifically about the birth I suppose what sort of preparation did you do? Did did you do any formal preparation? And how were you starting to think about what sort of birth you wanted and that kind of thing? Yeah, so we did a hypnobirthing course, which was recommended to me um, by a few people, actually. Okay. Um, that was an online course, which we could follow at our, at our, our own pace. And it was all videos, which was really helpful because it was an easy thing to put on in the evening and digest and that was that was really good some of the things I knew already but it was always it was good to have them reaffirmed and I think particularly for Max he 
he didn't really know any of the physical side of what was going to happen during birth. So that was really helpful. And what can I ask what it was called? The course? That was birth, birth ed. Yeah. And one of the things I found particularly helpful was the visualizations, which I suppose is part of sort of meditation, but visualizing mm-hmm. the the end result and the, the positives. So unfortunately, I after the sickness, I did have some other health complications in the second half of my pregnancy. So I had um, a heart murmur. And I had a lot of dizziness and I also at one point lost my vision randomly. Wow. That sounds very scary. Yeah, it it was. It was quite scary. More, I think, for the people around me than me. Sometimes when things like that are happening, you end up going a bit out of yourself, don't you? But that meant that I moved on to consultant-led care, which means that you have more appointments, more scans, closer attention okay I was also advised that I needed to have my birth in more of a medical setting would you say that changed the course of what you were hoping for or had you not really got to the point of deciding on what you wanted at that point it did yes because I had before that I had hoped to have a water birth and less medical intervention right okay but once I was started experiencing the symptoms I was experiencing I I felt quite strongly that I wanted to listen to the advice that I was given so I was also strongly advised to have an early epidural um that was that was mostly to do with my heart because they were concerned that there could be stress on my heart once labor started and when you say early epidural do you mean early on in labor yes so I was told at that point of advised that as soon as labor started I needed to come into hospital so generally um the advice is to do early laboring at home as much as you can mm-hmm. um but I would, as soon as labor started I would need to come into hospital and have an epidural straight away okay so fairly late in the day when you're told all of that do you write a kind of formal birth plan or have you got the preferences that you have noted down anywhere between your max yeah so I had uh, we had some preferences written down and we tried to keep as much of the essence of I suppose the original plan although the original plan never got legs and been committed to paper but we made a playlist um, I had bought a, a sensory lamp um, to take with us and different essential oils and, and that sort of thing. But it was it was tricky balancing between the the necessary medical aspects of what the birth was going to be and then maintaining the more calm mm. and I suppose more of the hypnobirthing approach that we had wanted to go for but yeah we did our best to sort of navigate that in the planning we had preferences as well that I tried to fo- I tried to focus on the things that we could control so particularly once the baby was born delayed cord clamping Max was going to cut the cord Max was going to say tell me the gender of our baby because we didn't know that he was going to be a boy oh yeah of course and those sort of things. So we focused on the things that we we could control. 
um, rather than the things we couldn't. Okay. Yeah, I think that sounds really sensible and like you're kind of protecting yourself almost for yeah, every eventuality. Okay, so what happens on the day itself? So... <laughs> the question to end all questions. <laughs> yeah. So as I said previously, I was having more scans and checkups and on a scan at 38 weeks, they felt that Orson was larger than expected compared to his graph that sort of his expected measurements and that was quite an alarming moment because I got taken into a room and told this news but I I didn't really understand what it meant at all I'd never spoken to anyone about what that meant or I'd never you know that wasn't on the hypnobirthing course and Mm. obviously I understand that they can't cover everything we then had to wait and be seen by a consultant and that that was the same consultant that was on shift in the delivery suite delivering babies which meant that we were waiting for a long time we were actually waiting for about 10 hours wow okay when we had just gone in for a scan that would probably have taken about 15 minutes so our our day really changed and it was Mm. summer it was hot it was yeah, it was, I was 38 weeks pregnant. So you can imagine the stress that was mounting, I suppose. In that 10-hour wait, we were seen by some professionals, midwives. Um, but yeah, it was a long wait. Eventually, they advised they wanted me to have an, in, an early induction, um, no later than seven days time. So at that point, you were how many weeks at that point? So they, they said basically, they didn't want me to go beyond 39 weeks. Got it. Okay. So they were happy for me to have the induction that same day that I was there or in a week's time. So at that point, you're kind of faced with this choice of do I give it a few days? Maybe things could come on naturally or do we just go with it now? Yeah, absolutely. So they also did a a membrane sweep um, and an examination to see what the situation was and to see if that could encourage things along naturally at this same appointment at this same appointment yes yeah so there was quite a lot that happened in this time they did also talk about um elected cesarean as well and mentioned that as an option which had been mentioned as an option all the way along when I started having more complications that was mentioned as an option but it was always advised against really Mm. okay it was put, put to me as a choice but it was certainly the consultant, it was never their recommendation. And so faced with all these choices, how do you go about making your decision and and what is your ultimate decision? Yeah, so we, we decided to go with what the professionals were advising us to do, which was to have an induction, but we decided to push it to the maximum that they would allow us to do which was seven days from that point so I would have I was 39 weeks pregnant exactly and that decision was really based on the wrong kind of emotions I think looking back we both wish that we had taken some time to reflect and really looked at all our options a bit more carefully so when you say looking back, you you maybe would have done things slightly differently. What decision do you think you might have come to if you'd if if you had? 
That's an interesting question, actually, because and I don't think we've ever talked about that. What what may have happened? We may have decided to wait longer. If if we were to wait and not have an induction, I I ha- I had to have monitoring every three days, which in that seven day window mm-hmm. I had to. So I had to come in once for monitoring. So I would have had that very close monitoring had anything alarming happened. So there would there was always that safety net. So I think looking back, it's so hard, isn't it? Because now I know the actual outcome and I know what actually happened. I know the size that he was because mm. this is the other thing. Growth scans can be very inaccurate. Mm. But and that one was inaccurate, but we didn't know that at the time. And all yeah, all you can do is is contend with the information that the professionals are giving you and, and make the best choice you can in that moment. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think we may have waited a bit longer too, because we had, we had time, we did have time Mm. to play with. We had time on our side. So it just didn't feel like it in that moment. Okay. So you opted for the induction as late as they were really offering it to you with their medical opinion, which was at 39 weeks. So did you have an appointment that you were coming in for? Yes. So I, the whole process was explained to me. And as I said, I had a monitoring visit as well in that seven day period where I had another sweep and checked baby's heartbeat and checked for movement and everything was a-okay. So that was great and very reassuring. Yeah. So I was to come in at 8 p.m., and um so it was evening it was pretty much dark actually by the time we arrived at hospital sort of like going into a nightclub or something that Mm. (laughs) was going to be a different sort of party (laughs) (laughs) yeah so we arrived and that process was lovely we we were walking up the stairs at 7.59 and they actually rang me to just check that I was definitely on my way so that was nice because we really felt like they were expecting us they were ready for us Mm. what happens when you get to the hospital are you taken straight to a kind of private room yes okay and I was fitted with monitors so two monitors one for my heart and one for the baby's heart and until our baby was born those monitors weren't removed so I always had the sound of his heartbeat and could always see the numbers on the monitor next to me as well which I think is quite a unique experience for wow yeah so you could hear actually the beat on the monitor yeah the whole the whole time wow which was really really special and see the numbers which gave me an indication of his gender because I'd done a bit of reading oh wow on how you can how you can tell the baby's gender by their heart heart rate heart rate which is definitely not an exact science (laughs) but it his did match what the internet said so wow that's amazing yeah and I definitely felt a development of a connection through that and I can I can visualize it in my mind right now his the heart monitor I suppose machine was to the left of me the whole time and I did keep looking at it and it was almost like I was looking at him which I know sounds really strange but that was definitely something to hold on to through the whole experience. Wow that's amazing yeah because until that point where they're in your arms you're already such a team going through it all it's but it can seem a little bit intangible at times so that's definitely yeah 
Yeah, definitely. Okay, so you're hooked up to the monitoring. You have the heartbeat going as a sort of soundtrack to the whole experience. And (laughs) what was the kind of first way that they tried to induce labour? So they first apply a pessary gel to your cervix. Okay. Um, which is to encourage dilation. I should mention as well, I'd, I'd lost my mucus plug prior to this, na- naturally, I suppose. That was probably due to one of or the other sweep. So that sort of phase had started. There was there was things going on. So, yeah, so it's the gel to start with. Then they give you 12 hours and then they uh, measure your cervix to see. And if, if you've reached three centimetres, then you can move on to the next stage. And we waited and the idea is, is that you go to sleep. So they apply the gel, you go to sleep and then you wake up in the morning and, and see, see how things went. Unfortunately, I couldn't sleep. The, the pain for me was very severe. I think every, every person's experience of this is different. Um, I know some women who didn't find it painful. Often when women have this, when they are much later on in their pregnancies so perhaps they're being induced because they are overdue it's not as painful because your body is sort of ready to go into that mode but certainly the pain was telling Mm. me that my body wasn't ready to to go through this experience so when you say pain what kind of pain are we talking about is it now that you've experienced the full labor process did it feel like early contractions um no it didn't it felt like much sharper often people say early contractions feel like period pain like very severe period pain but it didn't feel like that it was much more localized um to where to my cervix I suppose so very low down okay but so you you had this kind of difficult night where you're struggling to sleep and the morning comes and the measurement <laughs> happens did did it do yeah. what it needed to do despite all it the pain? did yeah it did do what it needed to do and I'd made it through the night I sent Max home to get some sleep and ended up spending the night talking to different people different friends from around the world who were on different time zones which is oh, always very helpful that's lovely <laughs> and I will I will never forget one moment in that night I think it was about I don't even know what time it was, but a a woman came in who was working there and she was called Teresa and she offered me a cup of tea and some toast and some codeine. Oh, (laughs) winning combi. Yeah, that really was the, you know, she was my angel, like Saint Teresa, I felt like at that time. (laughs) Oh, she really was. Yeah, so I woke up and had my examination and I was three centimetres, which meant that I could move on to the next stage, which was having my waters broken. Okay. Um, When you say having your waters broken, presumably that's a process of having kind of an internal examination. Yes. So an internal examination with an implement, a physical implement to break the waters. Um, There was one midwife who was considered deemed to be the best the best in the business at my hospital so they said we're going to wait until she's free because she's the best at this okay. and she she was effective good I was giving gas and air while I while I had that because it, it is it is painful and so the hope then after the water's breaking is that that will be sufficient to kind of kickstart contractions in and of itself? Or was there another stage definitely going to happen? 
uh, uh, exactly as you said the hope is that then your um your body kicks in and labor starts contractions start so that that is the hope once your waters are broken and this sometimes happens naturally for women you're in that window where if your if your contractions don't start within 24 hours then there is risk of infection so you are once your Mm -hmm. waters are broken you are on a little bit of a countdown okay and so how long do they give you before moving on to the next step they do give you 24 hours okay um that wasn't that wasn't what happened for me because pretty much as soon as my waters were broken my early my my yeah early contractions my my first contractions of labor began okay great but then I I did I did have to go on to the next stage but that's sort of a little bit later in the story I suppose okay so you so the waters have broken and your contractions come on pretty swiftly actually yeah my contract contractions came on and also another part of my story which was quite significant is when my waters broke the midwife diagnosed me with essentially having too much water okay which isn't a serious it's not a serious condition but it it can lead to certain complications and it's good for me to know for future pregnancies but that later on on reflection and sort of professional opinion would suggest that that was the reason for the complications that I had like the heart murmur and um, other such things that I experienced was having having too much water okay so kind of nice to have an explanation and an answer or a reason for some of the yeah definitely Mm. and also was a, a huge um relief a huge physical relief to have my waters gone because I think you know many people feel that way but it really was like such a difference I think I I think I looked about half the size once my waters have been broken (laughs) um (laughs) so really yeah and there was lots and lots of water and the 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 water breaking process probably took about half an hour it was quite a long uh process which it isn't normally when a woman has the expected amount of water I suppose okay okay so you you're enduring labor contractions for some time um how long does that kind of go on for do you feel them mounting in intensity and how are you coping so um pretty much straight away actually I had I was taken to have my epidural okay so I didn't I didn't really have to experience I didn't experience them for very long before the epidural and the epidural was very swift took effect very quickly and yeah so then I was able to relax a little bit do you know do you remember how many centimeters you were at this point or did they did they check I think I to be honest I can't remember actually I think I was I think I was progressing but I can't remember an exact number Okay, so the plan at this point is to sort of relax and yeah. recuperate as much as you can before you need your energy again. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so what kind of happens next? So um, I think this this is quite common um, when women have epidurals. So the epidural that I had was um, a complete spinal block, really. So I was just laying down. I wasn't able to move um at all Mm -hmm. and um things slowed down okay 
And so I had to have the final stage of the induction, which is a hormone drip. Okay. So that's that's when you are given artificial hormones intravenously. And um, yeah, and then that was when things did really ramp up and I was able to feel contractions quite strongly despite the epidural. Okay. You are you manage how are you kind of coping with the, the pain at that point? Just breathing through it or Yes. So I was using gas and air as well. Okay. And definitely also again just relying on my support network. So had Max with me and I was speaking to friends and family, sending messages, talking, talking to the midwife. I remember asking her some quite personal questions actually um you know about her marital status and her <laughs> hopes and dreams of the future she was hungarian um and she was telling me all about where she was born and yeah just just talking my way through it which is kind of my co- coping mechanism i think with okay. life just 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 pure distraction things like the the playlist that we'd recorded the the mood lamp and the essential oils and things I I really had no interest in oh wow okay interesting yeah I didn't want any music on I didn't want any silence or quiet I really just wanted to talk just talk and talk and try and just distract myself as much as possible from the pain well that's amazing that you had such a panel of people on hand to yes, talk to you as well absolutely yeah <laughs> yeah people didn't have a choice did that kind of take you right up until the end of the yes okay yeah so there was a definite period of time where I um had the urge to push so this went on for about 16 hours in total okay um and I had a very strong urge to push and I kept asking my midwife to examine me um but and she did she was very obliging um but I wasn't quite there but I had a very very strong urge to push and um had to not push had to had to hold it so that was that was challenging very challenging um and it did get to a point where I was sort of like the boy who cried wolf because I kept saying no 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 (laughs) it's definitely this is it now it really is you know, it felt to me like he was just about to come out just that moment. Mm. And and then my midwife left the room and I said to Max, uh, I really feel like this is it now. Please, can you go and get her? And and he did. And she checked me and she said, yes, you're right now. Now it is the time. So amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's the time, the culmination of all of these hours of of waiting and talking and (laughs) you do you stay in the same room that you've been in this whole time yes I I moved rooms when I got the epidural um I don't know why they they just moved us to a different room okay actually I do know why it was because there was a more comfortable chair for Max (laughs) because we'd been there we'd been there for quite a long time and there was it was a chair that you could lay down on and we were moving we were now moving into night time again so yeah so it was I suppose if he wanted to try and get some sleep okay then well thank goodness that, Max that is comfortable there. at this point <laughs> I know absolutely yeah so I was in the, I was in the same room um also uh, I didn't mention that during that that time I had started I developed a fever 
quite a severe fever and I was shaking a lot um so they gave me intravenous antibiotics okay um because I had an infection they did my test and then and they told me as well that it was likely that my baby would um well I wouldn't say likely, but it it was possible that my baby was also had the same infection I did and we would have to stay in hospital for at least three days. Wow. Okay. So, yeah. So to your point about Max being comfortable, I at that point thought, well, he can go home and (laughs) have three nights peace. So (laughs) he can definitely stand up. No laying down on that reclining chair. Thank you very much. (laughs) You're at the point where you're finally allowed to do the pushing that you've been feeling ready to do. And what position are you in for that? So I had a very strong desire to be on all fours. um, And unfortunately, I was told no, um, because I had, I had, um, I think I had three things. So I had some, I can't remember what they're called now, cannulas. Mm, Yeah. Yes. So I had a cannula in each elbow crease I suppose and then um one in my hand as well so and I had the two heart monitors as well so it just wasn't possible for me to move at all so I was just laying down with my legs in stirrups okay so really the the classic birth Hmm. position yeah okay and so you're pushing how long are you pushing for how does it feel do you feel like it's being productive Um, so at that point I pushed for two hours it felt very frustrating Um, I think many women experience this when they have an epidural because it's hard to know that even though you can feel your contractions they feel like they're happening in another room Mm. and you can you can feel them but it's a very dull sensation um so I was really relying on the midwife to tell me when to push. It was hard work, but it was frustrating. And the midwife was really encouraging me. She was very good, actually, at giving me the sort of feedback I needed. She would kind of rate my pushes. You know, she would might say, like, right, brilliant. We need one more like that. And I'd know that I did a really good push. Or she would say, come on, that's that's not good enough kind of, kind of thing. <laughs> to to motivate me and 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 get me pushing in the right kind of way but I did I really did need that I needed that um verbal guidance I think from from her so it was quite it was quite noisy I was shouting a lot as well which um I was kept being told off for I suppose because they don't want you to use any of your energy for shouting they want it all for <laughs> the, the pushing okay so, yeah You've got this amazing midwife coach who's ranking your contractions. <laughs> yeah. Does it help you get to the point where you can see little soon to be Orson's head? Um, it does. And they Orson needed to turn, so he was he was not quite the right way in the birth canal and he needed to turn. And I did manage to turn him. Um the midwife used certain techniques of manipulation as well to turn him so the two of us together and I did uh, I was able to feel his head quite still quite a long way up Mm. but I was I was able to feel his hair actually so he was he was nearly there um when it got to the end of two hours though they um 
I'm not sure if it's hospital policy or if it was to do with my particular set of circumstances and they were aware of the fact that I hadn't I now hadn't slept for a a long time Mm. we were you know we were nearing on about 36 hours that I hadn't slept for Mm -hmm. and um I also my body was fighting this infection as well yeah so I at, at that point they said that we needed more help and also the um baby's heart rate had started to drop as well so that was when the room filled with people I think okay. about 12 people came in wow okay that's a lot of people it was quite a moment and when Max reflects back on the birth that was certainly a moment he describes as very scary are you being talked through what's happening at that point yes yes okay. so I shut my eyes I think that was just the way that I dealt with it at that point. I closed my eyes and just tried to zone out of the seriousness, I think, because I didn't want to panic. Obviously, I knew it was Mm -hmm. serious, but I didn't want to get into a state of panic and be in a position of, um, yeah, I I needed to keep keep my head, I suppose. So the the best way that I felt I could do that was just shut my eyes. And all of the staff, I think, were very obliging and they all came and introduced themselves to me and um, right by my ear, which was mm-hmm. nice. And so it was like paediatricians, anaesthetists, the lead consultant, some junior doctors. Um, yeah, and they all they all came in. And then they explained that um, I would do about 30 minutes more pushing with the consultant there helping as well. Got it. Okay. And then um, it would be a assisted delivery, so forceps. I mean, how does that pushing go with the consultant? Are you feeling like you have anything left to give at this point? <laughs> um, it carried on pretty much ha- as it had before, actually. I, I okay. kept kept going, kept getting the, the ratings of the, con- of the pushing, <laughs> of the pushes. And I think at that point, Max had hold of one of my legs. I was in the stirrups. Max had hold of one of my legs as well. And yeah, just just continued as best as I could. Eventually, after those 30 minutes. So after after those 30 minutes, um, they made the decision. Again, there were were concerns about baby's heart rate and and me, the sort of state that I was in at that point. Um, so they decided that to use forceps. Yeah. Um, they explained to us the risks of that. And they also prepped theatre because they said there was a likelihood we would have to do an emergency C-section as well. Okay. Um, s- sorry, not as well, but, you know, in addition to attempting with the forceps, they explained they would try with the forceps three times. And if it was unsuccessful, we would go to C-section. So we signed some forms, which is quite difficult with your eyes closed. I did my best. <laughs> And yeah, had it, had it all kind of explained to us. And then I, so with the forceps, I still had to push. Yeah. So um, that was really important. And they explained to me, you know, the, the, the harder you push and the more successful push, the greater chance there is of, of it being quick and, and the forceps only needing to be used once. And Yes, yeah, so it was just once, one push, one pull. You found some reserves in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I did. One push, one pull. And... Wow, at last he's here. 
Yes. And so what do they do with him? Is is he able to be put on you at that point or what happens? Yes, they put him straight onto me. Um, but I was quite checked out at that point. So I wasn't really aware that he was he'd been born. Um, I th- I really thought he was another baby from someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, in in the in my mind, I could I could hear them talking about all the usual things that you would expect, you know, time of birth, etc. Um, and I I really felt like oh the the person next door must have had their baby. It, it really just didn't feel like wow, I was that's there. Crazy. Yeah, it okay. was it was very. Um, and then the Max did cut the cord and he was, um, Orson was taken away to be checked because obviously, as I mentioned about the infection, so they were quite concerned about that. Um, mm. And it was explained to me that I had um, sustained a fourth degree tear, although they, well, I, I, they didn't tell me that straight away. They just said that I had torn and I would need surgery it would last for about two hours and we were going there straight away so they wheeled me straight through to the operating theatre wow okay so at this point you're no longer with your baby anymore no so I think Max said that um he was on me for about 30 seconds or it wasn't long Hmm, it was a quick kind of on and then off and then I was gone Okay, so while you're in theatre, where is your lovely new baby? Um, lovely new baby was with his lovely new father. Um, so they they had a really fantastic couple of hours. Um, just, or, you know, Orson was checked over. He was absolutely fine. He did oh, have antibiotics admit, administered to him, but very healthy baby and... Um, very happy father who was worried about me and that was all a bit unknown but he was able to have those first couple of hours of Orson's life just the Mm. two of them and they sat and cuddled and watched the sunrise because Orson was born at 5 20 something like that a.m so they yeah they sat by the window and watched the sunrise that's so special and so unusual in so many ways probably for the dad and the baby to have time alone yeah definitely Um, obviously they would have preferred you to be there but (laughs) yeah that was the situation yeah okay so did everything go smoothly in theater you kind of what needed to happen happened and you were able to be reunited with them a couple of hours later yeah so yeah I was in theater for two hours um they did advise me to sleep but I couldn't I felt um very I suppose full of adrenaline yeah um, which is as you would and I was felt very sick at that time as well and um I had two very friendly anaesthetists right by my head and they one of them I remember one of them saying oh I'll just put some anti-sickness in for you as in into the (laughs) into the um the drugs that were being pumped into my body and um they also asked me if some other people could come and observe the operation because it's not one that's they've done for a while so there's quite a few people in there with me yeah Yeah. lots going on but yeah so it went successfully and they explained what they'd done and then they took me down to recovery 
Okay. <clears throat> and so that's where you're finally able to be with your new family again or your yes. extended new family. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, th- so that's where I really remember meeting Awesome for the first time. Okay. I remember him being wheeled through um, by one of the midwives in, in the little plastic hospital cribs. Yeah. Wheeled and how over did it me. feel? Very surreal. Mm. I I hadn't really hadn't connected to what had happened yet um I was oh yeah I I was in a very difficult state I was hallucinating and I had you know a lot of different things going on but Mm. uh, it it still felt incredible to have my baby there and to have him on me and I just wanted to hold him and not put him down really oh and you could (laughs) yeah at this point now that you're in the recovery area and how long how long do you stay there for are you do you know how long you'll be there for I didn't know how long we would be there for but I think we were there for a couple of hours um, okay because different people came to see us to explain so like the consultant came to say talk to me about the surgery and post-birth and and um, they even, they actually even in that moment they talked to me about subsequent births which I thought was quite interesting that mm. at that point they talked to me straight away about if I had another birth it was probably it would have to be cesarean and I think you know that that was straight away which felt a little full-on at the time but <laughs> yeah that was what Let, it was <laughs> let's deal with this yeah precious little new life that I need to look after as well yeah. as myself <laughs> Yeah, and the paediatrician came to kind of tell me the different checks that he'd done when Awesome was born, just to reassure me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and then we got moved. Then I got moved up to the the ward. Um, and yeah, and so how were those first few days? And well, firstly, actually, what what was your plan for feeding? Did you want to breastfeed Awesome, or did you have a plan prior to? giving birth so I I I wanted to breastfeed that was my plan I Mm -hmm. hadn't done much research into it at all and I really had said to everybody that asked me I want to breastfeed but I won't let it stress me out if I can't if it doesn't work for us it doesn't work for us and Mm. um I I will we will feed him another way if breastfeeding doesn't work okay and but that's not what that's not how I felt once once he was here and and feeding you know the reality kicked in and so at that point you felt more strongly that you wanted to feed breastfeed him yes yeah I felt a very strong desire to breastfeed um I had difficulty breastfeeding which that and that difficulty I mean you have difficulties breastfeeding at every age and stage, I think, but certainly that, ob- let's say obstacles, obstacles and barriers to breastfeeding, they continued um, really, I would say, for the first six weeks of Orson's life, those obstacles. Mm. Okay. But but that, that desire that I had to breastfeed was incredibly strong and the thought that I'd had previously that I just wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't worry about it and just be flexible to whatever happened that that really was not the case I I was very very felt very strongly that I wanted to breastfeed and very determined to 
okay. to do and it. And so how did you find it once you tried? Um, I, well, I, I found it very difficult and very confusing because I had different advice from different professionals and I was very unsure. I was, you know, obviously the, the birth that I had been through, I was in a very fragile state myself and um, wasn't really able to manage everything that was going on very well. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I, I, I found it difficult. Um, initially, we did hand expression and used syringes to feed Orson uh, my colostrum. And yes, yeah, so that that was the, that was the initial feeding, really. Um, on this on day two, he one of the midwives advised me that he did need to have some formula. So he did have some formula quite early on as well. Okay. And yeah, so you're still in hospital at this point. So you've kind of got different professionals on hand to help. Yeah. yeah. Besides the people in hospital, were you turning to anyone else for support? Yes, yes, definitely. Friends and family, um, people that had had babies recently. Um, I was, uh, to start with, I didn't, I don't think I really knew what kind of support I needed. Mm. That didn't really kick in until we were home. Which Um, was when? When did you get the green light to finally head home? So four days later. Okay. We came home um, and we we did have 24 hours later we had to go back into hospital so we had one basically had one night at home then we had to go back in um and that was because Orson had lost a lot of weight it's very normal for babies to lose weight but it was more than would be expected so they were concerned um so we went back into hospital all the tests were done there was there was there was nothing um there was nothing wrong it was it was an issue of feeding of the breastfeeding um sorry he what he wasn't able to get enough milk when he was breastfeeding um he was diagnosed with tongue tie at that point um which can be a a a barrier to how much milk they're able to get when they're feeding Mm, okay and so you're kept in for how long this time when you're back in the hospital was it just one night uh yeah so another two days okay think yeah and what happens that makes you get the green light again to to go back home so I was introduced to um the hospital breast pump I say that like (laughs) there was only one there was quite a few but um yeah so they they gave me a feeding plan where they basically said that he needed 60 milliliters of milk every two hours Okay. Whether that was breast milk, expressed breast milk or formula. And um, yeah, so every two hours I would breastfeed him. I would pump, um, feed him what I pumped and then I would feed him formula until he had had 60 mil or or more. Actually, sometimes he ended up having more. I kind of just fed him until he fell asleep every time. So Mm. it's it's what's called triple feeding. Okay. Sounds like a full-time job. Yes, it certainly was. So needless to say, I didn't sleep when I was in hospital that that second second time either. Okay. But the the effects were very quick 
and um, on the money because he Wonderful. gained the weight that he needed to gain. Um, and from then on, the his weight gain was astounding, really. He, he, he absolutely thrived. And how long were you doing that feeding plan for, would you say? Uh, a couple of weeks, I would okay. say. It, it petered off, um, uh, yeah, after after a couple of weeks. So I, I continued that when I was at home mm-hmm. and got more comfortable with pumping and got more knowledgeable about pumping. Okay. And, yeah. So at that point you were kind of still combination feeding with yes. breastfeeding and with formula. By yes. the end of that two weeks, was he still having a bit of a combination of both? Yes. Yeah. So that combination went on, like I say, until he was about six weeks old. Okay. All in all. Um, I had the help. I had the help of many friends um, and family and family or friends um, and, <laughs> and lots of different offers of support, which I, I said yes to all the support. And I would really recommend anybody else doing that. Just say yes. It feels mm. so I don't know why, but it feels hard to accept the support. Um, but it really is the best thing and you've, mm. you've just got to when when you accept that support it it really does make everything better and um, I had a lactation consultant mm-hmm. come to see me um, and I also had help of with the our council provide sort of feeding support so I had a member of the, that team and um, basically the conclusion that we came to was to use nipple shields which are sort of silicone um nipples I suppose for want of a better phrase and Mm. they sit they they basically stick to your skin and then the um your baby will latch onto those and then draw milk through those and as soon as Orson set eyes on a nipple shield it was love at first sight really (laughs) and um he absolutely loved them I I had no problem getting him to latch and or getting him to feed and he would feed and feed and feed and feed and feed and we use nip we use nipple shields for a year okay so I I fed him for a year and we used used them for that whole year okay and so here we are a year on um and Orson is totally thriving yes and sleeping I hope yeah, uh, he yeah we've you know we're very lucky he sleeps very very well I say that tonight he'll be a nightmare but no he um he he does he's he's he just like me has very high sleep needs and and he sleeps really well and he did he he started sleeping through the night quite quite a quite a young age as well because he was so full and happy <laughs> yeah well maybe yeah <laughs> Well, thank you so, so much for sharing your story with us and just, yeah, thinking back over it all, I'm I'm thinking how amazing it's going to be for him to learn one day how strong and powerful his mum is and <laughs> you should be so proud. Thank you. Thank you very much for listening. That's the end of this episode. Take care and see you next time. <laughs>